In Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And today, this podcast is co-funded by the European Union. Views and opinions expressed are, however, those of the authors only and do not necessarily reflect those of the European Union or France Agrimaire. Neither the European Union nor the granting authority can be held responsible for them. I'd also note before we introduce our guests that if you're interested in learning more about either of these, uh, this Comte cheese or Couture and wines, you should check out iconicterroirsofeurope.com. The link is in the show notes, uh, and you can get even more information than we're about to lay on you here uh, about these two iconic products. And with that, it's my pleasure to welcome back on the podcast first Jean-François Marmier, or Taz, uh, who's a producer and farmer of Comte cheese. Taz, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Hello, everyone. Bonjour à tous. And once again, of course, as well, we have Raphael Pommier, who's a seventh-generation winemaker at his family's Rhone Valley estate, Domaine de Cousignac. Raphael, how did I do this time? <laughs> you did very well. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Nice to see you again. Yes. You again. Spent the whole time between episodes practicing, so I'm glad I nailed it. All right. So those of you who didn't listen to our first episode you should go back. You should listen to it. We have a lot of great information in there talking about a lot of things about these two products, the commonalities, uh, this whole, uh, you know, the PDO system and all of that. And in today's episode, we're going to talk a little more about each of them in in, in specifics because we know, Fine Pair Podcast listeners, you love it when we dive into the nitty gritty of these topics. So I'm going to start where I'm less familiar with a little bit about Comte Cheese. Love to eat it. Don't know much about it. So Taz, start me off by talking a little bit about where in France are we? Where where does Comte cheese come from? If we look on the map, if you close our, our eyes, we are in the northeast of France near the Jura Mountains. But we have to add, you can start from 200 meters elevation up to 1700. And a lot of pasture covered also by a lot of forest, in particular spruce trees and a lot of ponds as well. It's a very, very green area. And, you know, we talk a lot about, when we talk about, in particular, you know, products from Europe, be they wine, cheese, other kind of agricultural products, these these PDO products, we talk about history. So so what is the history of this cheese? How long has it been made? And, and kind of what, if there are any kind of important milestones along the way, what are some of the, the elements that have come to making Comte cheese in the 21st century what it is? Yes, Comte has been made for over a thousand years. And the idea at the beginning was... We have to bear in mind it's one of the hardest climate in France. And farmers thought, let's make a product, let's make a cheese, a big side cheese. Therefore, we can keep for a long time, in particular, going through the long winter. So let's put our milk together. It's a long conservation cheese. It's a big cheese. It needs 400 liters to make about a 40 kilos wheel. And then we can go through those winters. And really, our ancestors were the pioneer in terms of cooperative system, because it was already the idea, putting together, and little by little, having a cheese dairy. We own the cheese dairy, we employ the cheesemaker, and we know how a product is made. Excellent. I'm going to come back to this this question about aging the cheese, because I think that's a really interesting thing that you find in Comte is, is kind of wide range of aging. But one last question for you before we pivot to wine for a little while. And that is, you know, we we talked about a little bit of this in the first episode, but what are the sort of defining characteristics of Comte? When you see Comte on a cheese, right, when it's a PDO Comte cheese, what, what are the things that you can know about it? What must be done or what does what defines Comte in the, in these days? 
So Conte, we all know Conte for a short time because in our cheese dairy, we don't have the capacity to keep it. So usually after two, three weeks, we sell it to the aging seller, to a mature man, to the affiner, and then he's not going to look after. His first job is to identify. We have plenty of wheels. We have to classify. We have to identify the aromatic profile. It's probably the hardest job, but it's the most exciting job because no wheel is going to mature in the same way, on the same speed. So it's why some Conte that will go through different temperatures, the, uh, the maturity okay, will be reached. For some Conte, it will be at six, seven, eight months. For some other Conte, it will be much later. But we don't know. It's an exciting job because we don't know at the beginning how fast Conte will develop his aromas. Okay. Taz, I will be back with you shortly. Not that you won't enjoy this conversation as well, but Raphael, I have to ask you a little bit about kind of Coteron. Can you maybe tell our listeners kind of where in France are we uh, more broadly with the Coteron and then specifically kind of where is your winery located and maybe what are some of the elements of the of the Coteron that define it sort of from a geographic standpoint? Well, geographically, my uh, winery is uh, in the middle of the Rhone Valley, the middle of the Côte area. We are surrounded uh, on the east by the Alps and on the, the west central massif, so between two chain of beautiful river, the Rhone River, that brings uh, energy, water, and, and life to the, the Rhone Valley. Uh, my specific um, place is called the Ardèche. Ardèche is one of the six departments where you could find some uh, Côte Rhone wines. Uh, it's located, It's a very natural place. We have no way, uh, no train, uh, so it's very natural. But most of the, the, the departments around are, are full of, of nature also, like the Drôme, the, the Vaucluse, the Gare, uh, and so on. And you know, we talked a little about this with uh, Taz, but what's some of the kind of history of wine cultivation in the Côte d'Oron? Kind of what, where do we, where do we find the beginning? And then what are some of the, if you know, kind of any important historical moments along the way that have made it what it is now? Well, you know, the the, the Rome has wine for many, many uh, years. It's one of the first region in France where, where wines arrived. Uh, actually, we, we found trace of uh, grape varietals uh, in the sediment of some limestones. Uh, we found some fossilized uh, leaves, uh, 8 million years old. Wow. And also, we, we, we have some uh, history with the Etruscan, with the, the Greek, who came in Marseille and who created, you know, some vineyards along the, the, the borders. Uh, they developed in the Rhone Valley the techniques of this ancient uh, uh, civilization. And we found traces of vines in the, 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 the Ardèche, the Drum. We found uh, antiques villae of Gallo-Roman period. Uh, well, you find history and vines everywhere in the Rhone Valley. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of the the sense of place of terroir. But I also think, you know, we kind of mentioned this a little bit in the previous episode, it's important for people to understand who don't, you know, wines from the Cote in general are products of more than one variety. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the, the grape diversity in the Cote 
Yes, of course. We, we have a, a, a lot of diversity in the, the Rhone Valley. The Côte du Rhône um, are mainly based out of Grenache and Syrah for the red wines, uh, and, and also some white Grenache and, and Viognier for, for the white grapes. But we have a total of 23 different varietals that we can use, and that will bring a different spice to the blend that the winemakers are going to, to produce. Uh, the, the thing with varietals, in fact, they are adapted to every corners of the Rhone Valley. The, the difference of landscape brings a very uh, a wide range of different soils, uh, sandy soils, soils with pebbles, clay, white clay, gray, blue clay, red clay. I mean, all that will create um, um, a place where different vines are going to be more or less adapted. And the, the knowledge of the, the winemaker in the Rhone Valley is to perfectly match the the varietals and the soil to create the, the best combination. Then after, uh, with that blender, they can readjust the type of wine they want to create. So I have to say, Côte Rhone, it's something very interesting because you always try a different uh, sensation, which still have the same origin, still the same style, but it's always new. <laughs> Uh, and one last kind of question for you, Raphael, before we kind of pivot back to some some cheese talk. I want to ask, you know, we talk a lot about the the sense of place that comes through these wines. And, and you know, you mentioned a lot of the different soil types and, and kind of how that can have an impact even with the same varieties. But also I'm wondering, you know, we don't always talk about this, but I think it's important to understand depending on where in the, in the Cote de Rhone, we're talking about maybe some, some climactic differences, you know, maybe proximity to the river, uh, elevation. What, what are some of those other factors that come into play? Well, there are, there are multiple, and I have to say also the, the temperament of the winemaker is very important. You know, the way they, they sure. conduct their, their work is one of the major act, uh, impact uh, uh, input in, in the taste of the wine. But of course, if you're close to the, to the river, you get more moisture, you get more fog, you get more so life because the water is nearby, so you have more bugs, you have more diversity, you're more resistant to climate change when you reach the terraces where it's drier, it's sunnier, but it's also a place where it's poor. You know, you don't have the same minerals, so you need to make sure that you're going to work your soil sufficiently to, to get the irrigation in place, and, and then you, you have a, a different expression. All those little changes will change the taste of your wine. It's incredible uh, to see the impact. You know, when I started my, my, my job uh, as a winemaker, uh, I, I, my background is agricultural engineer, so I've learned a lot of things. And when I came back, my, my father, uh, he told me, I'm fine, an expert in winemaking process. And I told him, Dad, I don't know how to make wine, despite five <laughs> years, you know, in college. And, and he said, why what that? Uh, did I pay for, for nothing, you know, the, the, the studies? And, <laughs> and in fact, I, I was very sorry about that, but I spent the first 10 years in the field to understand the link between the soil, the grape, the age of the vines, the way to crop it differently, and the weather impact, and all that together, and it took me 10 years to understand, to understand, to, to grasp enough understanding to be able to manage the, vi the wines after. And that's what it means, you know, the process of learning all those differences. It's not coming to you. It's an expertise. It's a knowledge. It's a transmission. And that's why in the Rhone Valley, we have this history of winemaking process that helps us to maintain our identity and style. But that's fun because, uh, well, you always have to learn something. 
Yeah, exactly. Tess, this is actually a really interesting uh, entry point back into talking about uh, raising raising cows and, and and all that. You know, with some of what Rafael was saying to you about this this learning process, this understanding kind of how, in your case, the relationship between your your cows and the the grasses and other things they feed on. Like, what are some of the things you've learned along the way, either you know that you were taught or that you learned the hard way? Well, as uh... As old man said, don't remember when you are a farmer, observe, spend time to observe. And it's definitely one of a very important criteria. It's to spend some time with the cows, to look at them, to try to, we identify many things. And we must not forget when we, when they come to be milk, we milk, raw milk has going to be kept. So it's very, very important to observe to pay attention all the times and it's very very important to detect any health issues and improve the general well-being of the herd so it's very important as they know our voice as we touch them it's part of the of the rules as well to to see the cows coming into the dairy and as we pull the first uh, milk from the teats there is already something we can see, we can tell. So that's very, very, very important. And to spend time with them uh, inside the building and outside of the fields. That's very important. And I learned quite a lot. And um, particular by spending that time, you you are more or less part of the herd as well. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, you mentioned, I think, on our on our previous episode that there are specific breeds of cattle that are permitted mm-hmm. for the production of Comte. Can you talk a little bit about them and, and sort of what makes them uh, particularly well suited for for life in the Jura? Yes, yeah, so the breed is called Montbéliard, or uh, as well French and French cemental ca- cows. Um, it makes people a lot of things sometimes, but they say they are dual-purpose cow, and uh, mm-hmm. they have a very good milk, good quality of milk, and also big body. They are heavy cows, are quite rife animal, and we say her milk is very cheesable because the ratio protein on fat is very important in particular for the protein so it's very important and it's a very profitable cows with hay grass and hay that's very very important uh, for that so it's why that breed has always been used in our area and can face different change of climate uh, high temperature and uh, cold winter it's adapt herself uh, very, very good. It's very placid cows, uh, quite stubborn. But if you if you work okay, if you are nice with them, they give you back. And I think we touched on this before as well, but I want to ask a little more uh, about this. You know, we often think about Comte as a broad category, you know, with these specific uh, regulations. But as you were mentioning on our previous episode, within the Jura, there are lots of different microclimates, you know, different, uh, you know, grass species and and other things along that the the cows might be eating you know without getting too much into the individual perhaps sort of subregions how how does the cheese vary depending on where the milk comes from there are in fact uh, different dairying area first of all the landscape is not the same you have different tablelands you have different elevation from 200 to 1700 meters uh, it doesn't mean it's richer in uh, in one area more than other one, but at different stages, the grass will be different. Climate will bring uh, different grass at different level. So 
there some of the conte uh, will be already made in spring at a low level and will be different and around the cheese dairy it's the maximum um, distance allowed to pick up the milk it's 25 the radius is 25 kilometers so that's very important to keep those dairying area which at the end are going to produce to provide a different taste that's very important and you know, I have a question too about about the aging process. You know, we talked a little mm-hmm. bit about how the affinera is really relying on the aroma the, to to understand the maturation of the cheese. And you know, I think it's very it's very typical for people, certainly here in in America, perhaps even in France or, or the rest of Europe, to look at any uh, aged product like cheese and assume that well, the older one is going to be better, right? That it's more special because it's aged longer. It, to what extent is that? True or untrue in your eyes? We could say it's both. <laughs> Coming back to the beginning. So the wheel, to make it clear, the wheels are moved in an aging cellar. It's going to be looked by the affiner and that in care. The beginning of the care is fundamental. It's salting the rind, creating the rind, okay, bringing that protection, which is very, very important. And then little by little, you have a very supple paste inside and you're going to have what we call the proteolis, the transformation of that paste and the taste will come little by little. So first, Conte is not going to be mature at the same level. We often compare the maturing of Conte as fruit on a tree, in according to the sun, okay. in according to the weather. The aromas will come in a different way. And then the, some, some consumer they will appreciate different Conte at different time. Sometimes at seven, eight months, nine months, you can have some uh, dominance of aromas, like let's say like fruity, lactic, whereas when you go, when you mature longer, the pace is going to become firmer and then you may go more towards roasted aromas. So it depends, but really you could play, you have to be careful with the age. As we always say, it's an indicator. You don't buy an age, you buy a taste. And you could, mm-hmm. you could have tens of tens of Conte at the same age and not giving neither the same aromas, neither the same intensity. Interesting. And, and then, of course, it depends with which wine you you want to pair with at the end. <laughs> oh, you're, Taz, you're doing my job for me. I love it. I have, I have a couple more questions for Raphael before we get to the most important point, which is enjoying both of these together. But Raphael, I have to ask too, because I think there's an equally misunderstood element to wine in general, and in particular, I think a lot of wines from the Côte Rhone, which is there's a tendency, I would say, and I think I can say this, here in the United States, to be to look at blending in a particular wines that are that are blends as you know maybe i don't want to say less exciting that's not the correct way to put it maybe just people don't understand the importance of blending and how 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 skill how much skill and experience goes to work in in blending and and obviously a lot of the wines that you produce are the product of blends in one way or another can you talk a little bit about that process and kind of what it looks like for you and and why it's so important to producing these wines yeah, it's it, it's very important what you you said. You know, the the blending action is uh, something that is um, once again in the core value of, of the Rhone Valley wines. Uh, I talked about last episode about the the idea of being a composer. You know, the the musical impact. In fact, winemakers are more than that. They are artists. 
could be painters, they could be musicians, they could be uh, uh, singers, they could, uh, I mean, some of them are chefs also, you know, uh, they, they can cook, uh, they, and all that goes to the same thing, is to compose, associate, blend the different savory taste of their terroir. And uh, yes, the, the, the blend seems to be like, okay, they, they just uh, arrange their wine using different grape varietals. No, we don't arrange them. We create something unique every time we do a blend. And that's what makes it important to understand. Uh, when you have a, um, an evening with some friends, you know, you have, you like to have a variety of friends. You don't want to have only one friend with you. It's nice, but, but then if you have a, a party, it's much more interesting. You know, you have fun. Well, it's the same thing. We, we bring several, you know, varietals in the same area and let them talk together. Let's see what they could say together. Do they, do they bring something to, to to the final result and, and that's the idea of being blending uh, the idea of uh, not mixing because we don't want to lose the impact of one of grapes uh, to the other but to add a value to the uh, to the ensemble and it's like when you have one plus one it's not equal two it's equal three you know it's that makes it better to understand this world Absolutely. And, and when you, when you think about blending, you know, maybe beyond just sort of from a almost artistic standpoint or, or that kind of social standpoint, like, is your sense that blending is a historically important part of uh, Coteron wine, is it not? Yes, it's it's fundamental. Um, uh, for example, you know, let's talk about the different uh, type of grapes we use to make a red wine. You will understand why we need to blend. So the 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 Syrah uh, is a is a varietal with a very thick skin uh, that uh, will have an impact on the inside because it's like uh, sunglasses. You know, it will protect uh, the the inside of the the sun of um, the Coteron. So the, the, the fact is that the, the acidity of the, the, the varietal, the grapes, the fruity taste will be preserved. And because it has a thick skin, we will have a lot of color, a lot of tannin. But sometimes we have too much tannin. Sometimes we have too much acidity because, well, the weather wasn't, wasn't that hot, wasn't that uh, uh, cooking the grapes. So we will be very happy if we could find some other grape varietals that bring something different. And let's turn to the Grenache. How's the Grenache? The Grenache has a very thin skin, uh, so so thin that sometimes if you take a berries of Grenache, you look at the sun, you will see the seed inside. And because wow. it's very thin, well, the sun goes through it, transforms the acidity of the, fr of the fruit into fat acid, make it rounder, softer, you know, uh, and that, wow, will go very well with the acidity of the Syrah. If we put them together, we have a juice that is both seed fruity and round supple and then because it doesn't have a lot of color the grenache it'll be happy to receive the color of the syrah but because the syrah has too much tannin uh, it will be happy to receive the tenderness of the grenache so you see they speak to each other and it's like it's not well some of my friends my winemakers we we say that we don't blend we wed the grapes and you know with a wedding well you always have a baby in the end and let's talk about that again <laughs> a baby fruit a baby wine a Côte du Rhône wine that has this impact of blending different style and it's always unique all right and then i think to kind of wrap things up let's talk about you know we we we've, we've talked about blending we've talked about marriage we've talked about children um let's talk about bringing these two together right so obviously um it doesn't take a genius to recognize that, you know, cheese and wine tend to go well together. And, you know, I don't know that we need to get into too specific about individual pairings, although we can. But 
you know, maybe maybe first for you, Taz, kind of what when you're thinking about what wine or or, or what to drink with with just maybe um, you know, if you're just kind of having some Comte, uh, a cheese that's perfectly enjoyable to have on its own. What 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 are you looking for in a wine to kind of complement the cheese? So the good thing for uh, the Comte is you have usually a choice. So in according to what you buy, in according to what you like. Uh, let's say if you take a young Comte with a particular fruity like lactic and slightly roasted aromas, it will go with the round, more soft white wine. And if you have a denser white wine, let's say you could pair with a more robust Comté, which maybe will bring some kind of buttery and leathery aromas. Um, If we talk for some red wine, we could have a, a red wine developing some black fruit, for instance, white pepper's aroma. It could pair definitely with the fruity and um, nutty conte in added with the roasted onions, we could say. And if you have an older conte, to have a more powerful red wine, it would go well with a bit of more tannic as well. You can really play. But again, even if you... Here are some comments about the particular wine, particular Conte, just uh, stimulate your own sense, your own mouth. And uh, that's very important. Find that pleasure to associate and, and to find maybe some uh, new aromas as well. And, you know, Raphael, when you hear kind of Taz talk about these cheeses or in your own experience, are there specific or, or, or some, some examples that you can think of of Cotteron wines that would go particularly well? Oh, well, I'm thinking about a lot of wine that will go very well with Conte cheese. The thing <laughs> is, you know, the Conte cheese <laughs> has a nice texture, and the texture goes so well with the, the, the Côte du Rhône. Uh, I, uh, I told you about the, the Grenache, you know, that has this roundness. Well, the roundness goes very well w- with the, 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 pasture, the pastry of the cheese that uh, is chewy, you know, it's, uh, and the taste of the, 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 the Syrah, the spice goes well with also some old Conte, you know, very uh, uh, powerful in the taste. Uh, in the same time, uh, we, we don't forget the white uh, wines, you know, in the Côte du Rhône, the wines that tend to be so uh, uh, fruity, fresh, uh, uh, crispy, light, and for, for, for young Comté, oh, that's mer- a marvelous aperitif. In fact, I, I start to get angry. I'm sorry about that, but when I hear all that, <laughs> it makes me angry. <laughs> the, the, the Very understandable. Is, no matter, no, yeah, no matter what, uh, we always say in France that the wine should underline the taste of the, the, the of the, the food. Uh, wine, you know, it's the, the music of your tasting buds. Uh, so you don't want it to be too powerful. If you want to eat a piece of cheese, you really want to eat. You know, it's not like a tasting competition. You want to eat a good piece of cheese. And your wine will just be there, you know, to uh, bring the atmosphere around this uh, cheese impact. Uh, so you see, we're, we're very humble in the Ron, uh, in the Côte Ron area. We all recognize that we need to help, uh, but not to be the first in front. <laughs> that the fact that I'm joking. The, the fact is that uh, we are seeking in a, in a uh, pairing, we are not seeking a balance. Uh, that's something I would like you to, to forget. You know, a balance, it, it's a, a tension. It's the, the sum of all strengths that equals to zero in, a, in physics. In fact, we're looking, and I come back to the music, we're looking to this harmony of taste. And, and that's where, you know, the, 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 the power of the, the cheese will resonate with the, the tenderness of the, 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 the texture of the, the, the Cordurone wine or the, the lightness of the, 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 
the young cheese will pair with the uh, uh, fruit, uh, the freshness of the, the Côte du Rhône white. All that is a way of listening. I like what Taz said before. He said observing, you know, uh, the, the cows, the, the landscape to, to understand what is the same in uh, when you blend and, and, and when you try to pair, you need to observe, you need to try. And I'd say, well, find your own way, find your own pairing. There are so many different Conte, so many, so many different Côte du Rhône wines. Well, the best idea is to try and decide for your own palate if you eat too much sugar or if you eat too much salt, you will decide what you like. And that's what it's wonderful about. It's unique every time. Fascinating. Well, that is a, a beautiful place to leave things. Uh, Taz, Raphael, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciated this fascinating uh, set of conversations. Uh, really got to learn a lot about these two you know, distinct historic products and the sort of things that unite them, the sense of terroir and, uh, you know, kind of commitment to sustainability and, and also, you know, some of the specifics about how they're made. So again, thank you both so much for your time. It was a pleasure indeed. Yeah, pleasure. And I'll remind everyone that if you want to learn more, you can check out iconicterroirsofeurope.com. Again, that's linked in the show description as well. And again, thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So the Vine Pair podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington in Zach Jabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair podcast network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Shrino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.